Lydia, thanks so much for um, coming to um, be with us on the Mellon Sawyer post-war uh, commemoration, reconciliation and rebuilding uh, seminar series. Uh, we've had a fascinating discussion this morning around the power of silence to either um, be a um, overlay conflict or perhaps heal conflict. Um, but in terms of commemoration, I particularly wanted to ask you about your own experiences um, throughout the Middle East, an area which is often categorised as having a troubled history um, where various uh, uh, ideological or religious groups with very um, profoundly significant and important commemorative ritual acts um, may be contesting over space or resources. So my first question, in terms of these quite political or politicised aspects of ritual and commemoration, is one around the ambiguity of commemoration as a therapeutic tool, but commemoration also as a weapon of war to mobilise. In your own experience in the Middle East, um, how have you seen this ambiguity and how do you um, uh, analyse and perhaps untangle those um, violent and peaceful aspects of commemoration? Well, thank you very much um, indeed for inviting me. It's been a really, really stimulating, thought-provoking morning. Uh, lots of issues around commemoration and silence that I haven't really thought about before. Uh, in terms of the Middle East specifically, it's very difficult to memorialise or commemorate a conflict and the trauma associated around a conflict without a certain degree of space because a lot of agreement has to come especially around civil wars mm -hmm. there's an awful lot of discussion compromise um, and acknowledgement that needs to happen before be before practices or monuments um, rituals those sorts of commemorative actions um, can really be agreed upon it took mm -hmm. it took Germany I think a long time to come up with various uh, m m memorials um, and the pr but the problem is if you don't do that other things spring up to take their place if there mm. isn't anything nationally sanctioned shall we say it's coming from some sort of cross-party and I mean parties to conflict not political mm -hmm. parties but some sort of cross-party agreement and action the danger is that people are going to memorialize within their communities that is going to actually entrench the dividing lines of the conflict rather than overcome and we're seeing this in Lebanon that um, there hasn't been a successful effort to come up with any sort of narrative of their civil war that was 1975 to 1990. Mm -hmm. The textbooks stop at 1975. And, um, and what, what we are seeing, what many different surveys and studies are showing, is sectarianism is actually growing, particularly amongst the, the, the age where, who have not directly experienced the violence between the sects themselves. So it's the children uh, coming through who are only hearing reports of the violence and mm -hmm. largely only from their families and family friends, which, of course, are mostly within the same community as they are. 
And so that, of course, is actually serving, although it's an important part of dealing with conflict in society, um, it's only serving really to strengthen those, those dividing lines. Mm. That's concerning. But there's also something hopeful there that I kind of wanted to, to pick up on, which was, um, I, at one point you mentioned there needs to be a space for um, what I took to be a, the construction of a, <coughs> of a shared narrative. Um, so, on the one hand, the history books stop in 1975, and you suggest that means people aren't able to come to terms or process their traumatic histories. But on the other hand, there are, as you say, these um, violent, divisive, sectarian narratives being created. And when you said there needs to be the creation of a space, to some extent that seems to me to be similar to a silence, a sort mm. of a neutral space. Mm. Um, but then... You've also, um, in terms of the Lebanon example, talked about how silence can be dangerous. So I was just wondering, um, obviously, the areas you've been working, whether in Iraq or in Lebanon or um, in Syria, did you say you've been mm. in Yemen as well? Like, I'm not entirely sure. Um, very troubled, um, very violent. But can you think of, or can you give me an example of what a... What, what that kind of space might mm. look like, what, mm. what a positive example is that you've seen, either historically or in the contemporary context. Yeah, it, well, sticking with Lebanon for the moment, I think although a shared narrative is necessary for something like a school curriculum, possibly, uh, what I think, I think it might not be feasible at the moment. Mm -hmm. And I think what a space might do is give people a chance to acknowledge the multiplicity of narratives, mm -hmm. contested nature of memories. It's not just a political act to construct a, a, a one-sided narrative. It's actually a fairly human thing to do. We mm -hmm. all remember, we all construct our memories very differently, even about non-contested issues. We, we have differing memories from our siblings, for example. And so as we move further and further away, it's almost 30 years since the Civil War finished. As we move further away, it's not as if we're going to come at any sort of agreed historical truth of some sort. And so I think, I think what could happen is a space could be for listening and absorbing, absorbing people's experience, not as detail and content and narrative but mm -hmm. as emotion mm -hmm. so absorbing the fact that people were traumatized or mm -hmm. people feel guilt or shame or worry if they were exiles if they've committed violence if all of these all of these emotions and responses to civil conflict these are shared even if you are on different sides mm -hmm. many people lived in europe for the duration um, on all sides for example, um, I'm not entirely sure about the role of silence. It's as ambiguous as any other action, to be honest. It's just, it's just, it's an action like any other. It has, it has a moral component. People choosing to stay silent is, is a choice, which means that it can be 
to acknowledge, but it can be to refrain from condemnation, silence. Um, it's a tool that can be used in so many different ways. And in this sort of way, I think it should be, it could be utilized as a function of listening, mm -hmm. as taking it in turns to be silent, really, mm -hmm. as an invitation to reflect on what you're hearing from other sides, which is very, very difficult in any conflict, let alone in something as, 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 very, as knotty as Lebanon. Mm -hmm. That's um, so fascinating because the understanding I have, and I presume this is a... Um, a common sort of Western um, contemporary um, psychoanalytic understanding of um, talking about experiences as um, therapeutic. My understanding of that is always from an individual and kind of a private context. Mm. So individuals might talk to a therapist or individuals mm. might talk to a priest about their experiences. Um, whereas you seem to be suggesting that trauma as a um, common uh, bridge between people mm. could be um, expressed and listened to and understood in a shared space mm. and that could be a binding future of commemoration. Mm, yes, that shared space I think is a very, very important aspect to all of this but what some of the discussions today led me to appreciate more than I ever have is that um, silence can easily be taken for a shared experience without that necessarily being the case. Mm -hmm. We can think we've had a communal experience, for example, on Remembrance Sunday because we were all silent at the same time, but actually our thoughts might go in a hundred thousand different directions and some might be about entirely different subjects Mm -hmm. the dead or the bereaved or just your own experience of conflict mm -hmm. or the stories you've heard. But it can also be a different attitude being brought to the thoughts, which can serve as many functions as there are thoughts. For example, it could be, it could include resolve not to go to war again, or it could be reflecting on the kind of grievances that drive people to war in the first place and therefore making it more possible, not less possible. Mm -hmm. Victimhood is endlessly reinforced by the victim. And we, 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 again, this, this, is not, this is not specific to conflict. We, we all dwell on the way that we've, had, that we've been badly done by. Mm -hmm. um, and without expressing that and discussing it with somebody who's going to give either a, a observer position or the other side's position, uh, there's, there's not really much way of getting over that sense of victimhood because it is self-reinforcing. So mm -hmm. silence is a tool, but one to be dealt with in all its complexities and ambiguities. Mm -hmm. um, well, yes, complex uh, and ambiguous, um, but um, a very rich... Um, uh, interview. Thank you so much, oh, thank you uh, for giving uh, me Lydia. The chance. Thank um, you, uh, and thanks for being with us at Oxford.